grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. This is Jane and today I will be speaking to Professor Daryl Higgins who currently holds the position of Director at the Institute of Child Protection Studies, which is a part of the Australian Catholic University. Prior to this, he held the position of Deputy Director Research at the Australian Institute of Family Studies and it was in this role that he contributed to and was one of the authors of a study titled Past Adoption Experiences, National Research Study on the Service Response to Past Adoption Practices. Professor Daryl Higgins is also a registered psychologist and has been researching in the area of child abuse, family violence, and family functioning for over 25 years. Welcome to the podcast, Daryl. Thanks very much, Jane. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. I was wondering if you could tell us what the AIFS study, which is what we call it, what it set out to achieve and and who else was involved in it? Well, it was um, commissioned by the um, Department of Social Services um, and it was really to try and set out an, an evidence base in relation to the extent and the impact of um, past adoption practices, because at that point in time, um, there really was very little known about it in a um, in a comprehensive uh, way from a sort of a social science um, evidence point of view. And because uh, they were wanting to really try and both understand and put in place uh, better services in order to respond to Um, the cohort, if you like, that were affected by past adoption practices. Mm. They were wanting to know how many are affected, who is affected, and what are the kind of lifelong effects um, of this. Yeah, it's absolutely great that that happened. And I'm wondering, uh, what was your role in contributing to this research? So my role was sort of as the lead study author in... um, uh, supervising, if you like, the the team who were um, contributing to the study from the Institute. Um, And so I was sort of contributing to the uh, overall study design and coordinating the the communication of the the results that we uh, produced from that study. That's great. And just, just how big was that team of people? 
Oh, it was relatively small. We yeah. had um, uh, three or four people um, yep. contributing in, in different ways. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I was the, uh, as, as the psychologist, yeah. I was yeah. the kind of the lead on um, the, the methodology, if you like, that we were using in relation to um, particularly the quantitative, but also some of the qualitative aspects as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit about how that study came, you know, you know what was involved and what the research methods were? Yeah, so uh, what we decided to use was a, um, a large scale um, quantitative um, survey. And, and really, that was um, one of the best ways, if you like, to understand the, the volume, if you like, mm. the number of people who have been affected. And of course, it wasn't a um, uh, a, a quantitative survey in the same way that, you know, the Australian Bureau of Statistics might um, do uh, a prevalence um, study or something like that. But what we, what we did was we distributed the um, invitations as widely as possible. And so the, um, one of the biggest groups of people that responded was adopted people. Mm -hmm. um, the next biggest group was, and that was uh, over 800. We had um, more than 500 mothers participate. One of the smallest groups, of course, was fathers, and that's um, understandable in many ways because many of them may not have known that they had been the father mm. of a child that was um, lost to adoption. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something we did hear from Gary Coles when we interviewed him um, yeah. in a previous episode. So... I guess now if we move to what came out of that study, what do you see as some of the key findings? And maybe we could start with what mothers reported that they actually experienced at the time of the adoption. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, there's a number of um, uh, aspects to this. We asked questions that were around the kind of um, experience um, prior to losing a child to adoption. Um, uh, and so what we found was that um, many of them um, were uh, remained living in the family home for the duration of their pregnancy, but um, a significant proportion, over a third, were um, living in some kind of a, a home, like a maternity home run by a, a church or, or charity group. And they experienced, you know, a range of kind of distressing circumstances, both those who were living at home in terms of the um, uh, support or lack of support that were provided by family. Um, but for those who were living in the in in this um, kind of maternity home, it, it does suggest, first of all, the um, lack of acceptance by society of um, unmarried mothers, I mean, which is the situation for most of the, the mothers who were um, responding to our survey. Mm. Um, uh, you know, in terms of discrimination, in terms of lack of acceptance. And of course, you know, the the um, circumstances for many of these mothers were, you know, growing up in the in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Like the peak of um, adoption was, mm. uh, in fact, close to the year that I was born, nineteen seventy one. That that was um, really the the peak. But it did continue past then as well. So you know, we're talking about a, a while ago, very different um, societal norms to to what we have now. 
but that should not be seen as excusing what was um, ended up being very much kind of criminal, very mm. uh, very much behaviour of individuals as well. So we, um, we we have to be able to bear in mind um, both the broader societal context, but the behaviour of individuals as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. So um, many um, did report that their parents were aware of the pregnancy, um, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that the um, parents were necessarily supportive because um, many um, mothers reported that they were treated very poorly during their pregnancy and that, that those experiences pre-pregnancy did, experience, did um, you know, negatively impact their, their family life um, going mm. forward. Um, in, in, including the um, decision to um, have subsequent children or not. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I noticed um, in this study as well, they asked mothers directly what they saw as the ultimate reason for why their child was adopted and family pressure did rate uh, as the highest. Um, yeah, that's factor. right. Yeah. That's right. And I even noticed some quotes in there. For example, um, my parents had money but were horrified at the thought of an illegitimate child, um, things mm. like that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so we have to um, re remember that, you know, in a way it's a different world, mm. but in another way, I in many ways, um, uh, it, 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 it's the individual world that people are growing up in. Mm. It's the reaction that they um, perceived or experienced that is really important for them. Um, and so if they had people around them who were um, communicating that their, uh, that their experiences was, were, were going to be negative, um, that they were going to, um, you know, not have an ideal life for this child mm. that put pressure on them to, um, you know, to give up that child. And so those negative experiences, you know, during pregnancy then translated into the actual experience of childbirth and then the subsequent um, uh, pressure that was put on to um, to relinquish the child and, to, in fact, to sign over consent, often under duress, including, right. um, you know, the, the um, experience of, um, uh, you know, drugs that, mm. were, that were used during and subsequent to pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's right. And I will, I'll just read one other quote, which really speaks to that. One mother says, I was told over and over by nuns that the only option was two parents. Anything else was selfish. And I was told over and over that he would be a bastard. So you can just imagine um, yeah, a mother yeah. being told, well, you're selfish if you want to keep your child. Um, that's right. That's right. Whereas, you know, you would hope that the ideal situation is what are the supports that you need mm. in order to be mm. able to care for your child? Um, and, of course, that's the ideal scenario, but that wasn't the case for right. many, many, many um, women back in in uh, those, um, those times. So, um, and, and they have to live with the consequences of yeah. that. That's the real difficulty that they spoke about um, to us in, in this survey is that the lack of support that was provided to them has had lifelong consequences yeah. um, for them. Can you tell us a bit more about that, about what was found about the long-term impacts on mothers? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, many of those long-term impacts are, are really relating to their health and um, and mental health and uh, their ongoing well-being. So um, uh, more than um, uh, or almost half, so around you know forty-five, forty-six percent, said that they'd been diagnosed subsequently with a moderate to severe mental health condition. Mm. And that compares with other survey data that we have using standardised kind of measures of, of mental health mm-hmm. um, to uh, less than 10%. So wow. we're talking about, you know, almost a five-fold um, over-representation, mm. if you like, of um, moderate to severe mental health um, conditions. So the kind of mental health uh, conditions that we're talking about there is post-traumatic stress type symptoms um, and other mental health conditions, including um, depression and anxiety. And of course, throughout the um, uh, the work that we did in terms of, of the lead up to this survey, you know, I met with many um, mothers and other people affected by uh, adoption, but the mothers in particular um, were were still experiencing significant distress and mental health disorders as a consequence, mm. and also fear of being able to um, disclose their um, uh, their their status as a, a a mother who had either lost a child or was mm-hmm. struggling to make contact with or reach out to and have a meaningful relationship mm-hmm. with a son or a daughter who um, they'd been separated from uh, through adoption and that that kind of you know pull me push pull push you kind of relationship that they had both with themselves mentally mm-hmm. and potentially with a son or a daughter was a, a, a real struggle and something that um, I suppose I'd, I'd not necessarily considered the the, the depth and um, uh, the anguish mm-hmm. that, that many of these mothers experienced. And, you know, it changed so many things about themselves, their perception of themselves as a good person mm-hmm. um, and as being able to provide kind of, you know, love and care if they'd been denied that or it had been massively changed by their um, by their experience of, of forced adoption, and mm. so that kind of grief and mm. loss um, that that many of them experienced um, subsequently, uh, you know, is really a lifelong um, impact. Um, some of them. F- also talked about family members kind of mm-hmm. expecting them to just kind of you know move on mm-hmm. and that kind of societal expectation and family expectation um, really was a you know a major force for them in terms of that sense of well you, you're not allowed to talk about this this is mm-hmm. something that you know we just have to to move on from and yet it really n- impacted on things like for example their their uh, their self perception of their ability to you know to parent. So yep. many of course did go on to have subsequent children, um, but found that um, even those children that they may not have been separated from through adoption, that they felt it did change their ability to to be a good parent to them. So you know these these kind of um, perceptions of themselves as mothers 
was a really significant day. And of course, you know, even things like, you know, the words that we use for special days, like Mother's mm-hmm. Day, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then on other uh, days like, you know, Christmas Day, you know, the, the birthday of a child that they, yep. they might have um, been separated from, all of those significant days were really um, important for, yeah. for these mothers makes a lot of sense he's sort of saying it's their internal world but it's all of their external relationships and how it changes that and and we do hope later this year to talk about disenfranchised grief more as well because I think that's an important point it's one thing to experience that trauma and that grief but if there's no acknowledgement how does that get how is that supported or resolved it's very difficult yeah, yeah, and and a lot of the, the the mothers did talk about that kind of sense of of low self esteem, low mm. self worth, um, that were that they attributed very strongly to this experience of um, of 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 forced adoption. Yeah, um, that for a start they didn't feel like their um, their pregnancy was valued. Yeah. and how can you? how can you separate out your own bodily sense mm. of who you are um, when you are giving birth to a child and you are not seen as worthy enough to be able to be a parent to that yeah. child. The child is um, forcibly or, um, you know, you are manipulated into yes. giving that child up. Um, and then what does that say about you as a deserving parent? So there were so many elements to this that the women yeah. that, that, that we spoke to and who contributed to the survey, yeah. um, you know, really, really, dis- were re- really distressed in many, yes. many ways over the course of their lives. Yeah, and that's, that sounds like an important point. It just keeps going. It's, it's not just that period of time. Yep, absolutely. What about adopted people? Because uh, in my role, when I talk to adopted people, many say that people don't seem, people in society just don't seem to realise why there could be an issue or why there could be complexity in that experience, If particularly if they've grown up uh, with a positive experience in their adoptive family. So I wondered yeah. what were some of the key findings for, yeah, for that yeah. group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we we did find um, um, significant variation, mm-hmm. if you like, in the kind of experiences that they had. Because, as you as you note, a number of them did report having a positive experience with their adoptive family. So, over, over half, around fifty four percent of mm-hmm. the of the uh, over eight hundred people who responded to our survey did say that. Um, but um, there still was a significant proportion, so around about 44% reported having a poor or very poor experience with either one or both of their ad- adoptive parents. Hmm. We also had a significant group, so around uh, 28%, who had had um, a, a subsequent um, diagnosis of a severe or severe mental health disorder. So mm. we see these kind of um, similarities with the mothers in mm. terms of lifelong conditions associated with their experience, well, they associated it with their experience mm. of having been separated from biological parents through um, through uh, through adoption. 
And there's a, a range of different ways in which that kind of psychological mm. distress plays itself out for um, uh, adults who were um, uh, uh, adopted. And so some of the things can be about their sense of difference mm -hmm. um, from other um, other children and adults who grow up with biological um, family. So it can be the sense of feeling different, that sense of, well, how could that have happened to me? You know, that uh, was I was I not good enough to be a child to that mother who yep. had to relinquish me or who chose to relinquish me? What was wrong with me? So that kind of low sense of self-worth. Yep that sense, well, am I, am I difficult to connect with? And mm. that then forming subsequent um, difficulties in connecting with others. So that difficulty in, in forming what we call attachment. So that maintaining positive connection to others, whether it be romantic relationships, family relationships or, or other relationships. Um, so many continue to form, um, uh, have difficulties forming relationships. We also found that there was this kind of sense of um, dual connection, but also dual difficulty in how do I maintain this relationship with my adoptive parents who, you know, many of them, at least half of them sort of had positive relationships with, but there was that, that positive relationship didn't necessarily mean that there was the absence of difficulty. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just really felt for these people who were, were struggling to be mm. able to um, uh, have that sense of, well, where's my, where's my place in life? How do I manage this sense of who I am and my um, relationships and responsibilities to different parts of my family or families, mm. you know. So there were a lot of complexities in the family life for these adult adoptees. Um, the age at which they found out that they were adopted, um, you know, can also be um, really important. So many of them felt um, when they were not, told um, at an early age and kind of grew up with the sense that they were adopted and had these, um, you know, multiple elements to their identity, many of them felt a sense of kind of betrayal mm -hmm. in terms of how they um, had been communicated with about their experiences, um, especially for those who um, really mm, felt that it was a sense of um, secrecy and, mm. and lies had been communicated to them. Um, so there was a sense of betrayal for many of those who discovered very late about their adoption. Yeah. And certainly, um, I, I think those are the themes that come through in my work as well, is where there's been secrecy. Um, even with the best of intentions, it, of course, disrupts trust and what you said earlier about relationships. How do you relate to people if, if you don't believe you can trust um, mm. other people? And, and also the, the point that even if there is that positive relationship, there can be a real sense of loyalty Sometimes that comes from within, but sometimes it's external societal messages of you should be grateful. And we do find um, a lot of adoptees will contact in their 40s, 50s or even later, only then 
uh, re- wanting to reach out to biological family because prior to that they've just felt it would be a betrayal of their adoptive parents yeah. Uh, yeah. rather than a sense of it's okay to have, well, the reality is having two families and, mm. and actually mm. um, that, that's the reality and being supported in that reality. Yeah. So it, 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 as you say, it's a really complex issue. Yep. Multiple identities, multiple uh, allegiances. And that was, yeah, mm. one of the really important things that really came out of this study to, to, to me and my colleagues. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed as well that actually it looks like about 94 adoptive parents participated in the research as well and some of those said that they Mm. believed there was a link between adoption and issues that their child had faced uh, during childhood and adult years and many said that they hadn't been informed that that might be the case or Mm. there was no knowledge Mm. and they wished there had been knowledge because they may Mm. have been able to get support for their child earlier. That's right, you know, and and I think, you know, as a society, many of them were kind of sold a lie too, that, you know, they were kind of told that, you know, you are helping or you could or you should be able to expect, um, you know, to to just simply have this, you know, um, uh, amazing experience of, of, um, you know, creating a new family and in many cases they were told, you know, that they were offering a better family. Um, and so to realise that um, that the, the the child that they were raising then went on to have you know subsequent um, mental health mm. um, you know low self esteem attachment issues feelings of rejection etc um, were you know it was a bit of a shock to yeah. to many of these um, you know well-meaning parents um, in many circumstances. And so um, it it was a bit of disruption, if you like, Mm. to them to to be confronted with the fact that the um, adoption experience wasn't all that it was um, promised, both Mm. for them and for their children. Mm. Yeah. And maybe maybe another factor is, and I hope we do it better now, but I'm not 100% sure. I think often society doesn't really know how to deal with grief and loss. And so many, not all, but many adoptive parents may have had their own grief and loss, perhaps around infertility issues, yeah. and were also sold the message, well, just here you go, here's another child, and this is yeah. going to fix things for you as well, mm. rather than... Mm you know, this isn't the same and, and that's a grief um, yep. for yep. them as well, maybe not receiving support for that. So, yeah. Yeah, and maybe that different parenting skills and qualities mm-hmm. are needed yep. when you are parenting someone who is the child of another person Definitely. as well. <laughs> Definitely, exactly. Mm. Mm. That's, that's right. Mm. Yep. So before we perhaps do move on and just talk a little bit more about what this means for current practice, um, we should certainly address the impact of adoption on fathers, even though it was only 12, unfortunately, that participated. What, What were the results that came out of their surveys? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so as I said, only, only 12 fathers participated in the, the, the research um, responding to our surveys. But um, even the, the mothers who responded said that about 70% of them reported that they were in a relationship at the time um, uh, with the, the father of the child to, uh, that they were pregnant with. So, um, you know, there's the whole lot of complexity there in terms of what was the quality of the relationship, mm -hmm. what was the nature of the information that was was shared, the, the sense of responsibility or absence of responsibility of both mothers and fathers in terms of, you know, the decision-making and the choices that went on. Um, so we, we, we found that we had, you know, uh, quite, um, similar, um, data in terms of the kind of, um, stresses and mental health consequences for those fathers of, um, their experience of knowing that they had a child that was lost to them as well as to the mother through um, the experience of adoption. Um, but many of them um, who, who were aware that they had that experience also felt that they were negatively affected but wanted to do something about it, you know. So, for example, that they wanted to have their names recorded mm. on birth certificates, you know, that that was important to them, you know, in terms of of um, their identity as a father and their capacity to be able to have, um, you know, a meaningful relationship mm. in whatever way that they could with their son or daughter as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience for mm. me to be able to have connections with uh, these men as well, um, some of whom I met in, you know, in focus groups and other discussions, but also reading their responses to the uh, the survey, that it was really, you know, an important aspect of, of their lives as well and affected them in a range of different ways. Yeah, and I will I will say if, if people are interested in understanding more about father's episode, uh, father's um, experiences, we did an episode with Gary Coles and that was September around Father's Day last year. And I would suggest listening to that because things are still changing. Um, fortunately, even as early or as recently as 2016, we had another legislation change in Queensland that makes it easier to find information about fathers. So, and also to get father's names recorded on birth certificates retrospectively. Mm -hmm. So people should they're interested in pursuing that, they should certainly contact the forced adoption support service in their state and, and we can provide a bit more information and you will hear the phone number for that at the end of the episode. Um, and were there any other family members who participated in the AIFS study, Daryl, that weren't, yeah, the direct family members? Yeah, yeah. So, so what we wanted to do was to also acknowledge that... Um, other people are also um, affected by, if you like, or, or drawn into the circle of impacts that um, uh, forced adoption um, 
could have and, and in fact did have. And so what we, um, uh, we opened the survey to uh, other family members. So that could have been siblings of mm -hmm. those who were um, uh, adopted, um, spouses of people who were um, adopted, um, and, and those who, the, the, that experience of separation kind of rippled out. That was really mm. the conclusion that we drew from the, the survey. Um, and so those other um, uh, family members uh, indicated that they also experienced some adverse effects mm. in relation to the adoption experience and would benefit from support um, mm. if they were able to be offered it. Um, and we're also confirming, if you like, of the um, perspectives that we had that um, adoption isn't this just nice, neat experience that you wrap it up and move on, but rather right. that it has these kind of continued lifelong effects and that there are a number of bumps in the road for everybody concerned and therefore that as a community we need to be alert to and aware of the potential for um you know kind of running into these um bumps for want of a better word and that's mm. not to minimize the effect mm. and just say they are tiny little bumps but these bumps do continue on for mm. many, many people who have an adoption experience or are connected to somebody who has um, an adoption experience. And so that kind of increased community awareness from you know, the broader community, but also from professionals who might mm. be coming into contact with people with an adoption experience. And, and certainly that's been something that I've been involved with as well is mm -hmm. um, provision of supports and training for things like GPs and yeah. psychiatrists, you know, that we need to do a better job of um, asking about people's experience of um, adoption yep. um, and creating open and supportive in environments for yes. everybody so that they are able to, you know, feel as though they can disclose and talk about it and that professionals don't um, either cut them off or assume that they might um, be able to, you know, understand and sort of pat, pat and say, there yeah. you are, move on, you yeah. know, yeah. that it's not as simple as that. Mm. Absolutely. It's, it's funny you say about GPs because... As an adopted person, I had a recent experience where I had a printout. I'd asked for a printout of my medical history from that GP practice. And even something as simple as their template that they can fill in because I'd told them very clearly over time, okay, so this is my adopt, this is regarding my adoptive parents. They've they've both passed away, which probably, you know, has its impacts on me, but that's not my biological medical history now this is my biological medical history and when I looked at the printout they just muddled it all up because well they don't have sections for that so <laughs> so um, even things as simple as that you know can be incredibly frustrating then if if you return somewhere and they don't know and you have to repeat yourself and so even as simple as broadening our understanding of family maybe mm. and asking some standard questions because some people are affected by adoption, some people are affected by other things. A lot of people are in step families now. So 
And, and as you say, the intergenerational impacts as well. Uh, in our service, we're hearing more and more from children of adopted people actually that say, well, my parent, the adopted person doesn't want to search because mm -hmm. they have some of those direct psychological impacts, but actually I want to know because mm -hmm. this is my genetic and biological family history as well. So, uh, and the legislation doesn't always accommodate that. So there's just so many complexities. And again, um, as you say, well, we would say to people, make contact with the service if, if you do have questions and we do our best to help. And if there's not a direct answer, um, it's again, things are catching up all the time. There's a lot of technology now. People are doing ancestry DNA. So the idea of secrecy, I think, is being blown out of the water quite a bit. And then we've got to catch up in terms of the support available. Mm. Um, by a range of people, GPs, private psychologists, services, all those things. So I guess that probably does lead into a question about the service response because the study looked at that and asked people about that. So I'm wondering uh, what, what was said about the service response and what lessons should we take from that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, look, that was one of the, the, the rationales, if you like, that the, the Australian government wanted us to conduct this survey was to understand what are the service needs and to then put in place a, um, you know, a better service response. And, um, and I must say, this is actually one of the areas of, of, of research where I've been really pleased to not only have been able to contribute to understanding um, what the issues are, but where there has been an opportunity to contribute directly to the service response and to have provided recommendations and then to have seen those recommendations taken up by government in terms of being able to fund a, a better service response. So um, it, it's kind of been exciting for me in, in, in that sense too, to be able to see the impact of um, of of the areas that I've been able to contribute mm. to in terms of, of research. Um, so that this study was actually able to lead directly into uh, a scoping of those um, better service responses. Um, so I, the, the kind of issues though that the service response needs um, did uncover, um, I kind of hinted at before, was that that issue of health professionals mm -hmm. having a better understanding of um, the adoption experience and therefore the potential needs that um, all of those different groups that we've already talked about might have. Um, so the, the particular um, needs that people talked about in particular were things like their need for mental health support mm -hmm. um, and their needs for um, identity and connection mm -hmm. to be respected and understood mm -hmm. and also to be um, supported. So um, particularly in terms of making contact, whether it be with yep. a child or with a mother or a father, from whom they were um, separated through an adoption experience um, and to be supported throughout that, no matter how it goes, mm. whether it went well or whether it didn't go well and they needed emotional and kind of mental health support mm. 
as a consequence of that attempt to make contact and to be in touch with family from whom they were separated, all those things are, were really important mm. to be able to be supported in making those um, attempts. Um, but, of course, that all requires good kind of public um, awareness and education of both the um, in likelihood, the, the prevalence that people um, have of um, a, adoption and then things like the kind of service response, such as you've just outlined mm. in terms of, you know, GPs and other service providers um, knowing the, the, the experiences and the likelihood that they will be dealing with clients mm. who do have um, a connection with the issue of um, forced adoption. Yeah. And the initial um, response isn't just, mm. oh, that couldn't have happened or that's uh, not yeah. or what do you mean, you know, yeah. that it, that it's the opposite of that, that it's like, yeah. yeah, okay, I get it, I understand, can you tell me more? You know, so exactly. even if you're not an expert, that it's like, oh, okay, right, okay, can you tell me some more? You know, mm. that, that's the kind of response that you want to be able to have rather than, oh, that didn't happen or that's not likely. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Curiosity, mm. even if, as you say, yeah. even if the knowledge isn't fully there, just be curious and then go and find out more rather than being dis being dismissive. Yeah. I know that is one of the most awful and, and most triggering yeah. experiences. And people ring us and say, oh, I've been to four psychologists and I just can't find someone that, that mm. gets it or that it will even listen about this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What what are your thoughts? I mean, now I know following all of this, the APS, the Australian Psychological Society, has developed some training about yes. forced adoption, which is great, and I and that's something we we try mm. all the time to raise awareness that that exists. Um, but you know, what are your thoughts? Have you seen some, any positive changes come out of this study, or is is there more work to be done? What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, both. I have seen a number of positive things come out. Yep. As I said, um, this is one of the areas of, of research that I'm, I'm actually pleased to be able to say has led to significant changes. So um, the, the government has funded um, contact and reunion services yep. um, directly to um, respond to the issues of um, the, the, the needs of... Um, people who have been affected by um, forced adoption um, and to be able to support them in being able to make contact and to be supported regardless of the outcome of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the, uh, the money that has been put into um, providing um, training and support for professionals in yep. both understanding the issues and being able to provide better responses to those who have uh, a, a, an adoption experience. Um, and so both of those are areas where I'm pleased to say that the, the research has had a direct mm. impact yep. um, on those um, opportunities for providing, um, you know, 
better responses. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's how, just in case people aren't fully aware, that's um, Jigsaw, the, the service I work for, was um, granted the, the forced adoption service in Queensland and in other states it's run by Relationships Australia. And that was a really, you know, welcome change. And it's and the funding's continued, which is really great. Um, so just been we found out sort of just before Christmas we've been refunded for another three years. Um, and, and another positive thing that's happened in the last year, which was more so as a result of COVID, but the announcement that there will be 20 Medicare-funded sessions with psychologists uh, and mental health social workers for now. Um, and certainly this group, you know, can hopefully access that as well because sometimes 10 sessions is not enough. Um, these are very complex issues and people come to our service, but, you know, we have three part-time staff, so we can't always provide the long-term counselling. So we really need a range of people we really need that community awareness and and awareness amongst professionals um, last year joe interviewed Naam mushin uh, who'd been involved in in this period of history as well and in the apology and she asked him his thoughts on how we can learn lessons from the past in relation to current adoption policy and practice and i'm wondering if you have any thoughts about this um, State by state, obviously, it's different. But mm. in Queensland, just in the last year, the topics come up again. Should we be sort of looking to have more adoptions? Because we have a lot of children in the foster care system. But then that's got to be balanced up with, with what's happened in the past and the adverse mm. effects. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I do. Um, uh, I do a lot of work in the child abuse and neglect mm. space, so very much aware of the, um, you know, the negative impacts mm -hmm. of abuse mm -hmm. and neglect and the importance of um, providing, you know, trauma-informed responses to children who have been harmed. However, I think that governments and particularly politicians um, can be very quick to run to the idea of adoption as being a solution to the need for, you know, addressing the problems in the child protection system, mm. such children kind of churning around from placement to placement. Personally, I don't think that adoption is or should be the answer to that, that there's a range of different ways that we can provide um, better supports for families that might be in trouble, for children that might need support that don't necessarily involve removing them um, or um, separating their connection from their birth families. So um, absolutely, we need to be able to provide better permanency support mm. options for children when they have been removed. But I just keep going backwards and backwards and saying, well, mm. what could we have done better mm. with the family in the first place yeah. in order to better support them so that they're not providing unsafe environments? And yeah. so that could be about are they affected by drug and alcohol? Are we yeah. providing family-oriented supports for um those those uh struggling families mm. um are we addressing those mental health issues yep. 
that many families are experiencing that mean that they are coming up in contact with the child protection systems and are at risk of providing unsafe environments. Um, And certainly, um, you know, almost 20 years ago when I first started doing research with children Mm -hmm. who are in contact with the child protection system, that is the message that they said provide the services mm-hmm. to my mum and dad so that I can go safely home. That's Absolutely. what they and what I they just want. On yeah. coming back to that, you know, why are we not doing better what those children have asked us to do? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really struggle to see any situation where a child would say, I want you to legally sever my relationship yeah. with my biological yeah. parent. It's yeah. one thing to need to be in a safe environment, but it's another thing to legally sever a relationship mm. forever and for future generations as well, not yeah. just. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly hope that this podcast might help in some small way to raise awareness about adoption issues but also the services that exist. Um, And we've probably almost run out of time. So I just wondered if you had any final thoughts or um, if we might say goodbye to you for now. And thank you very much for being part of this podcast. We're really grateful for your time. Yeah, look, thank you, Jane. It's been a real pleasure to be part of it. Um, I suppose I just want to finish off by saying that, look, one of the most consistent things that... um, has come out for me in mm-hmm. terms of conducting this this research over a number of years is the message that many people who have an adoption experience but particularly mothers mm-hmm. but but really all all people have said is we want to make sure that the implications are heard mm. by politicians by the community so that this doesn't happen again and yeah. i've got to say that sense of being able to say um, the community, you know, failed me, that, mm. you know, it's not been able, I, I can't go back and undo mm. an adoption experience. I can't, you know, yeah. take that back. But we can make sure that there isn't a repetition of these mm. policies. And so people have talked about, for example, the implications for surrogacy um, for current child protection practices etc and i tell you that that really blows me away that people are able to kind of step back and say i can't um you know roll back time but what i can do is stand up and be an advocate that we don't repeat these mistakes and that sense of being able to um, step back and reflect, yeah. but to also be an advocate for yeah. future changes so that we're not repeating mistakes again, just blow me away. That, that really makes me respect even more all of the yeah. people who yeah. do have an adoption experience. Um, and so that, that sense of wanting to give back and keep on giving back to society mm. through that sense of what they have learned and yes. how it can be um, used as a mechanism for um, ensuring that children into the future 
have the best um, start possible mm -hmm. is just really, really important. So um, yeah. I just want to finish with that note. Yeah. That, um, that people, uh, you know, keep on saying to me, let's make sure we learn the lessons of the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I noticed that at the toward the end of the study as well, that I think it was when people were asked about the service response, they actually said, well, one thing we want is we want these, I don't know, politicians, policymakers to listen to our voices. And mm. Mm. I think that is crucial because it's all well and good to have all the things that are needed, the mental health support. But if there's, you know, having a sense of purpose and having a sense that, as you say, I can't change the past, but, but we can try to improve the future for, for other people, I think would help mental health. I think it would help a sense of something good has come out of this um, awful experience. So mm. I think that's a really good note to end on. Um, and I hope people will keep speaking up and sharing their stories. And thank you very much for your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And, uh, and thank you to, um, to Jigsaw and all of the other services across Australia that do um, provide that really important um, sense of um, acceptance and welcoming for, um, for all people who have an adoption experience. And I encourage um, people to reach out and get support and also to contribute their um their experiences and support others who might be struggling and want to um uh, make contact so um thanks to you for all of the work that you do and i um applaud you for for it thank you thanks so much daryl bye for now thanks for listening to the adopt perspective podcast if you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 if you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.